0: Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features the Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at
1: MetroOpera.org. Happy Election Day. It is the final day to vote in the 2022 midterm elections. It's River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. In just a moment, we'll check in with two county auditors here in Iowa, to hear how early voting ran, early voting ceased yesterday, and how Election Day is going so far, um, also how it's been affected perhaps by Iowa's new election laws. But first, let's check in with Katerina Sistaric, IPR state government reporter. Hi, Katerina. Hi, Ben. We just want to remind those who haven't voted yet, um, Uh, about some of the basics of what's on the ballot and how to vote. Let's start with that ballot. uh, Run through what uh, voters will see on their ballots.
2: So there's two sides to the ballot. Um, On one side, you'll see things like um, you're member of Congress. So we have four congressional districts, depending on where you live. You'll have the candidates based on that. Um, There's the Chuck Grassley versus Michael Franken race for U.S. Senate. Um, You'll be voting for the governor of Iowa for attorney general and other statewide races like the state auditor and the state treasurer, the secretary of state, um, the agriculture secretary, and the treasurer. I think I got all of them. Um, And then Mm -hmm. you'll also have candidates for the state house of representatives and the state Senate. And then there's a lot of also judicial retention races. So that's where you could decide if current judges and Supreme Court justices should get to keep their job. Um, And then there's also some more local races, um, including some county races on the ballot.
1: And then at the the final section, we have that gun rights uh, constitutional amendment question. Uh, Tell us about that.
2: Right. So that is to add um, a segment to the Iowa Constitution that would essentially make it more difficult for gun control laws to be upheld in court. Um, So for those who think there should be fewer gun control laws in Iowa, um, you would want to vote yes. If you're someone who thinks there should be more gun control laws in Iowa, at some point in the future, you would vote no. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, let's go to the polling. Polls open in Iowa until 8 p.m. this evening. Uh, By the way, our IPR news coverage, which will include me and uh, Katerina, um, begins at 7 p.m. and will go perhaps um, at the latest till midnight. It uh, could be that some of these races uh, won't even be clear, uh, have a clear winner at midnight. But uh, uh, for those who haven't voted, Katerina, what do people need to remember when they go to the polling place?
2: We do have a voter ID law here, so um, when you go to your polling place, um, there's a few different accepted IDs, so if you don't have a driver's license, there are other options, and you can look at those options at voterready.iowa.gov. If you don't have any of the accepted IDs that are listed, you can bring Election Day registration documents, which are also on voterready.iowa.gov, or you can have another voter who's registered in the same precinct as you attest to your identity, so any of those can get you um, what you need to be able to vote. Um, And if you don't have any of those with you, poll workers should offer you a provisional ballot. So you would cast the provisional ballot, and then if you would return to your county election office with the proper ID in the days following today, your vote can get counted. Um, And then it's also important to know that if you're not registered to vote yet, you can register at your polling place. We have same-day voter registration. Um, So you would need your ID, which you would need to vote anyway. And then you might also need to show proof of residence um, if your ID doesn't have your current address on it. Um, So those are Mm -hmm. kind of some of the main things for voting in person today.
1: Mm -hmm. And if you're not registered now but would like to vote, is that possible?
2: Yep. um, That's what I just mentioned. Um, If you're not registered, you can bring an ID to your polling place and register right there. And you may also have to bring some additional proof of residence depending on what your ID says.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, now if you have sent in an absentee ballot, um, there's an ability to track that, right?
2: Right, Um, so if you've returned an absentee ballot and you want to check if it was received because the deadline is 8 p.m. today for your county auditor has to receive your absentee ballot by then to um, be able to count your vote. Um, You can go to voterready.iowa.gov and check the state's absentee ballot tracker. It'll ask you to put in your name and you can see the date that your ballot was received by your county auditor.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's say you requested an absentee ballot. You didn't return it. um, And of course, you don't want to put it in the mail now for sure. What do you need to remember there?
2: So you can bring it to your county auditor's or or election office. Polk County has an election office that's separate. Um, But most counties, it'll be your county auditor's office. And you have to bring it there by 8 p.m. today for it to be counted. Or you can bring it to your polling place. You can surrender the ballot, and then instead you would vote an in-person ballot at your polling place. But you have to surrender that absentee ballot.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And should redistricting affect... um Uh, voters when they go to the polls. Um, um, Of course, you'll have different districts, but uh, anything to remember there?
2: Yeah, some people's polling places will have changed because of redistricting. Um, So you should just double check where your polling place is before you go to vote. Um, And again, you can do that at voterready.iowa.gov.
1: Okay, Katerina Sestarek, we'll look forward to being with you and the rest of the IPR uh, news team this evening. Again, our coverage uh, beginning at 7 p.m., and uh, our polls here close at 8 p.m. And we'll we'll see, perhaps in the 8 to 9 o'clock hour, some of the first races uh, being called. But, Katerina, thank you so much for the quick reminders. Thanks, Ben. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. For the remainder of our hour, let's check in with uh, at least one, perhaps two, uh, county auditors in Iowa. Uh, let's start with Travis Wipert. Um, Travis Wipert is the Johnson County Auditor, Uh, Johnson County, of course, in southeast Iowa, home to uh, Iowa City, the Coralville area as well. Uh, Travis, welcome to the program.
0: Welcome. Thank you. Or I should say hi and thank you for for having (laughs) me on.
1: All right. Very good. Thank you for making time on a very busy day. I'm sure you've served, I understand, as auditor for 10 years in, in Johnson County? That is Correct. Okay, how is Election Day going so far?
0: So I'm just looking at our numbers coming in today from our polls. I know at 9 o'clock this morning, we had 600 more voters than we did four years ago at that time out at our actual precincts today. Um, We noticed uh, a lot of them are rural precincts and they're um, heavy Republican precincts. But that also doesn't surprise us because we expected those folks to go to their polling sites or precinct and not vote absentee. But um, overall, when our um, absentee numbers came in, we're down 9,000 from 2018, kind of as a comparison.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, we did an IPR analysis of data from the Iowa Secretary of State's office, found that the number of absentee ballots in the state had received as of Monday of this week nearly 40% lower than the total number of absentee ballots received in in 2018 those midterms uh, so that sort of matches uh, with what you're finding as well doesn't it
0: yeah absolutely it, you know and we're seeing it across the board um you know we break down how many um democrats republicans no party libertarian green have voted And, yeah, I mean, like you pointed out, we see that downward trend as the Secretary of State's office is reporting.
1: Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more. You just mentioned about a difference there in parties uh, in terms of who turned in absentee ballots. Uh, Does one party, one major party, turn in absentee ballots at a higher number than the other?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, obviously here in Johnson County, we have a lot of early voters, Um, you know, and I have the numbers here this year, kind of party breakdown. We had 17,000 Dems, 3,000 Republicans, 3,800 no party. But then you look back to 2018, we had 22,000 Democrats, 5,200 Republicans, and 6,800 no party that had voted at this time. So Those are some substantial decreases, as, you know, you pointed out by that 40 percent number.
1: Yeah. And and so when we get around to to counting, ballots are being counted at this moment, uh, Travis?
0: Yes, they are. We started yesterday and, you know, we'll have to wait, uh, as was mentioned during your news broadcast, we'll have to wait till 8 p.m., To make sure, uh, you know, every voter, if they have their ballot out there, brings it in and then we have to count it yet tonight. But yes, we are counting ballots started yesterday and working on it right now.
1: So you're you're counting, obviously, if it was yesterday, absentee ballots or I'm just wondering in what order ballots come in? Absentee comes first.
0: Yeah. Well, so we have what's called the absentee boardroom. It's a group that all they do is count all the ballots that came into the office. So that would be our satellites, people that voted through mail, uh, when we went out to healthcare care facilities. All of those ballots are being counted right now. But the ballots at for the those... polls will not be counted until 8 p.m. when they send us their data.
1: Mm-hmm. And for those who may be, and of course this has been a, a big point across the country, election security, ballot security... Um, Tell us how those ballots are handled. Who gets to handle them during the counting?
0: Yeah, so it's a a bipartisan team, Republican, Democrats. We have no parties helping out. Um, Everything is scanned in. um, It's under lock and key. Every square inch from where the ballots are stored when they arrive to moving them over where they're being counted is under security camera footage um there and again we you know we have a paper trail that we have to every night make sure every single ballot's counted accounted uh, for and we do you know you look at the last recount that we had just 2 years ago here in Johnson County and our ballot totals matched up perfectly with all our records
1: down to the one single vote matching up perfectly
0: every single ballot was accounted for like it should be
1: Mm hmm. Um, if you just joined us, Travis Wipert with me, Johnson County Auditor, uh, let's talk about new election laws. Uh, what has changed there as far as you're concerned? What are you watching?
0: Well, it's unfortunate that we keep shortening shortening that early voting window. I mean, if you're an overseas voter, or voter, you're called Yocava, you get 45 days to vote early. And it used to be 40 days here in Iowa, and we've shrunk it down now to just a very minimal couple of days. And, I, you know, I think you're, that's why we're seeing uh, – part of the reason I think we're seeing a lot of people at the polls today is when you shrink that window and shrink the timeline to get an absentee request in, it forces people to go to the polls, which uh, for us – can create long lines. It's you know, and I'm I i do not want to speak for the other auditors out there, but I think almost all of them would say it's hard enough to get poll workers already, and then when you put all this pressure on everybody coming out and voting on election day, and we don't have enough workers, it just compounds a problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Tonight polls close at 8 p.m. What if you're in line at 8 p.m.? What happens at 8 p.m. exactly?
0: If you're in line, there'll be a poll worker that will stand behind you so nobody else can jump in line. At that point, the polls are closed. You still get to vote. You just have to hang tight and work your way through the line. long as you are inside the building, by 8 p.m.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, inside the building, what if the line goes outside the building?
0: There's The poll worker will be out there. You're still fine. You don't even have to be in the building. long as you are in line... You're fine.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's uh, let's see. We have these uh, new election laws. Um, has that been a challenge uh, in terms of uh, people, voters uh, being confused by any of the changes that you can see?
0: Yeah, I, well, for us, it definitely was when it came to being able to request an absentee. Uh, you know, a lot of people. The deadline used to be, like I said, at one point you could go out. Well, we could start mail ballots 40 days out. You could request an absentee well before that. Um, we have a lot of snowbirds here, and, you know, they were coming in in, you know, September, October, saying, hey, can I request an absentee for this election? And, unfortunately, it wasn't inside that window, and they were frustrated. And that frustration, of course, is usually taken out on the auditors, but we're not the ones that make the law. We just have to follow it.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's um, let's ask you a little bit about the any problems with behavior, so pe- behavior from people, um, people trying to intimidate in the guise of self appointed poll watchers, any of that?
0: No, and you know I'm glad you bring this up. I was doing an interview just yesterday, and I said, thankfully, um, here in Iowa, uh, our voters are respectful um we have not as far as i know i've not seen any counties reporting anything strange crazy um and that's a good thing you know we i always say we you know don't cause a problem on election day you know just go in and vote it's not you know you have the right to protest by voting and other means but don't disrupt the polling sites and so far i think here in iowa people they listen to the auditors.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Travis Wipert is the Johnson County Auditor. Thanks for the view from Johnson County in eastern Iowa.
0: Thank you, sir.
1: Let's talk with one other county auditor in Guthrie County, just west of Des Moines. Uh, Danny Fink is with us. Uh, Welcome to you, Danny. We have a few minutes to talk. Thank you for making time for us.
3: Yes, thank you. Sorry, I wasn't available a little bit ago. Just busy day at the polls.
1: <laughs> I can imagine. Thank you. We wanted to contrast you with Johnson County. Johnson County has about 150,000 uh, residents. You in Guthrie County, I looked up about 10,000 residents. So we have a real contrast there. Uh, you've been um, a county auditor there how many years?
3: Uh, about two and a half years.
1: Okay. How is Election Day going so far?
3: It's going really well, I will say. um, I think some of our precincts are seeing a higher number of turnout than than others, which kind of is on par for how it normally goes but uh but good turnout, so uh, just been a pretty knock on wood smooth day so far.
1: Mm-hmm. analysis of statewide uh, the early voting shows down significantly in the early voting. Is that true of Guthrie County as well?
3: You know, in comparison to uh, four years ago in 2018, we compared our numbers. So we're down uh, roughly 400 absentee ballots from where we were at um, in 2018. But, you know, I, I contribute a lot of that. The state, you know, shortened our window of time that we have for absentee voting. So that makes a difference there. Um, but I still feel like it's a good turnout, at least for Guthrie County. We've, um, you know, as of my last check of what we'd received in, we were about 1,478 ballots, uh, absentee ballots, to, you know, be tabulated. And so I feel like that's pretty good for Guthrie County. Um, but, you know, yeah, still down if you looking at the numbers-wise. But just to change the time frame to absentee vote four years ago to now, that time frame is a little shorter.
1: Yeah. Um, do you have the turnout numbers for today so far? Any of those?
3: I don't, not on a full scale, no.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, just observing your polling places or what you're hearing from your workers, heavy turnout, medium turnout?
3: So right now, I, I'm actually on a on site at a polling location in one of our smaller, um, I would say, turnout polling areas in Casey, Iowa. And uh, they're sitting at about 165 right now, which for them is, you know, pretty good at you know, 1230 on an election day. But I know one of our, um, you know, bigger turnout precincts, which would be in Panora, they, when I talked to them at 1045 last, um, they had 247 people that had turned out so far. So, which I feel like is really good. Uh, for them. And now they do have a contested supervisor race. I guess Casey, Iowa also has a contested supervisor race as well. But Casey's more rural, um, just made up of one small town and then all of uh, rural. Panora is made up of a you know larger town and less rural and, and includes part of Lake Panorama. So there's more people right there. Kind of makes sense that they get a little bit more turnout than some of these more rural precincts.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, D- Danny Fink, as the Guthrie County Auditor, what do you see as the biggest challenges? Perhaps you have concerns, the biggest ones you have, as this day progresses until the polls close.
3: Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for voters in Guthrie County has been uh, redistricting uh, of our of our precincts and then our supervisor districts that's been the hardest thing the last 10 years voters have gone to the same polling locations. They've had that. They've been in the same supervisor district and now all of a sudden that's all changed um, after the census. So that's been the hardest thing I think for our voters to really get their mind around is that like, they're not going to the same polling place, even though they live, you know, a mile outside of one town, that line changed. So now they've got to drive, you know, 15 minutes to the next town, unfortunately. Um, Mm. That's, I think been the biggest challenge that we have faced um, is, as far as just that change. And it, you know, it's been communicated. We uh, went with the state when they did a, a mailer. So it's, you know, it's been put out there, but we're, we still get calls. We still get people that have stopped in today, just curious on, you know, well, I used to vote here, but I don't know if that's still the same.
1: Yeah. With the political climate, we've been hearing it's, it's a harder this election to recruit, recruit poll workers. Any trouble with that in Guthrie County? Do you have enough people?
3: Um, I do struggle to find people. I don't hear as much pushback because of the political climate, even though it, you know, I guess it's so prevalent. Uh, but I think more so just um, aging population, less population. Um, it, so that is probably one of my bigger things that it's harder to find people. We don't have, you know, I haven't ever had anyone, you know, poll workers struggle with people at the polls contesting or, you know, causing a scene or trying to make it hard for anyone to vote. So I'm fortunate in, you know, that right of, you know, being a small county and, um, you know, there not being a ton of, you know, or really any hostility. Um, But I think, you know, my bigger struggle is really just finding people where we just have this gap of the poll workers we have are getting older. And there's, You know, we haven't quite gained, you know, enough people that have recently retired or, you know, that can make it work with their work schedules that can come out and and work the polls. But we have been able to increase more in um, still working age people that still have jobs, but they'll take the day off and come in and help us out. So that's been a plus. And the more that we get people that talk positively about it, like our current poll workers, then they can bring in new people, too. But it definitely is a struggle.
1: Danny, we have just a a half a minute or so. What about those worried about the security of our our elections, those who are believing the false claims of of election fraud, the last election? Assure us that uh, that, uh, things are as they should be.
3: They are as they should be. Um, You know, Iowa got it right in 2020, and we are doing it right again in 2022, and I have every confidence in Myself, my office, and all of my fellow auditors in all 99 counties across the state, and you know, I we've we're doing a good job, all of us. And our, your elections are safe.
1: Okay, Danny Fink, Guthrie County Auditor. We wish you a a, um, a good day, and hopefully, uh, no big wrinkles in the mix. There are probably some challenges along the way, but we hope it all turns out right in the end. Danny Fink, thank you very much.
3: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
1: You too. Coming up after a short break, we'll listen back to my conversation from last year, a break from politics. Uh, Professor Michelle Voss of the University of Iowa, she'll share how cognitive and physical exercise protects our brains from adverse effects of aging. That's when we return. It's River to River from IPR News.
0: Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features the Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande*, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at org.
3: I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR, where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game, using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from
1: NPR. I'm Ben Kiefer, and today you're listening to an archive edition of our program. This half hour, we want to dive into some of the latest research on How We Can Exercise Our Brains and Bodies to Fend Off Cognitive Decline as We Age. My guest this half hour, Michelle Voss, Associate Professor of Psychology and Brain Sciences at the University of Iowa in Iowa City. Professor Voss, Michelle, if I may, welcome to the program.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: We would love to have our listeners join in with uh, a question or two about memory and brain health. There's so much information out there. Some of it, I'm guessing, very good. Some of it, mm, maybe not so good. Uh, we'll try to ferret out uh, the difference between those two, but perhaps you have a specific question about memory and brain health and how exercise may influence that. Join our conversation, one 780 one 780 or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Michelle, first of all, tell us a little bit more about your specific research uh, as a neuroscientist.
4: Sure. So we're broadly interested in how health behaviors affect the way we experience aging in our brain and, and the severity of memory loss as we get older. So a broad uh, factor that inspires our research is that we know that up to 40% of our risk for memory loss as we get older is from our lifestyle and our environment, and that's not our genetics. And we want to know more about that. Uh, the most protective factor, the most evidence is behind physical activity. Mm-hmm. Um even one in five cases, it's thought of memory loss could be attributed to not getting enough exercise. Mm, and uh, we want to know that.
1: Yeah. And yep. you say our, so you work in a team.
4: Yes, we work in a team. We have a lab in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences, and we work in the Iowa Neuroscience Institute uh, with collaborators at the hospital as well. And so uh, our work involves testing uh, memory function as we get older and understanding how different health behaviors might slow down the loss of. Uh, memory as we get older.
1: So on any given day at your lab, what is happening?
4: What is happening? We have students, we have undergraduate students from the University of Iowa and colleges around the state of Iowa that participate in carrying out our research and learning about the effects of aging on the brain. We have graduate students in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences and in the Neuroscience Program that are also learning how to be scientists and Mm -hmm. learning the background of what we know and what we don't know to carry on their own research And we have postdocs, so people that have already gotten their PhD and are also sort of learning the the ropes of how to do research on their own. And then there's me. I come in every day and and interact, and we we meet and talk about what the evidence is and and what we don't know and what we know and and how we can uh, learn more with our research in the lab.
1: Tell me about a study or two that you've been involved in that uh, has been significant in, in recent memory here.
4: One of the studies I think I'm most excited about that's been recent in our lab was a study where we looked at the short-term benefits of physical activity. So understanding what happens right after you're active and does that give us some clues of why physical activity is beneficial for some people more than it is for others? hmm So one big question in the field is, even though we know physical activity benefits our memory, if you look underneath that small benefit on average, there's a large range of benefits. Some people benefit much more than others. And we wanted to tap into whether we could learn about that from learning about the immediate effects on memory. Mm, It turned out that the immediate effects did help. Yeah, the immediate effects helped memory. And we could tap into understanding who was more likely to benefit from training or exercising over three months from those immediate effects.
1: Mm-hmm. So to take myself as an example, I love to get some physical activity in the morning before I do this program, before I prepare. Mm-hmm. I just feel that my brain is in better shape. Yeah. I'm a swimmer. If I have a good hour-long swimming workout, I feel like my brain is just in better shape for for several hours.
4: Yeah, yeah, and then that lines up with uh, what research has shown. That the benefits can last up to about an hour to two hours after a session of exercise. And that although that's short term, it gives us a glimpse of the changes that may happen if you keep doing that over time. The muscles or the things that are changing in your brain, the neurochemicals that are affecting the structures of your brain, that happens each time. And the fact that you had an immediate benefit might be a clue that that was happening well for you.
1: Okay, yeah. so, so the more a person does this exercise to increase, this, the, the more capacity they, ha- they have and the, the mm-hmm. more the brain just gets trained to, to do that, to be in, in top form.
4: Yeah, we think the more the brain becomes receptive to that physical stimulus. So it takes practice. The brain has to accommodate that, that increase in pulse that's happening, the increase in heart mm-hmm. rate that's happening. And with practice, the brain becomes more receptive, and there might even be what they think a molecular memory for that benefit yeah. of exercise.
1: Let's say you're listening to this and you're you really not athletic at all. You have the best wishes, uh, best intentions of past years. Mm-hmm. but so, so any amount, when you slowly increase, check with your doctor and increase your physical activity, um, that's going to be beneficial wherever you are on the athletic scale. Let's just say it that way.
4: Yes, uh, that's definitely what we know, that something is better than nothing. Uh, getting out of your chair and doing something Will bring you a long way to the benefits that have been seen for memory with aging. Beyond that, it becomes more personal and it becomes uh, listening to your body and seeing what kinds of intensity levels and what kinds of regimens tend to make you feel best mentally and physically day in. Yep. Okay.
1: You can join our conversation, 1-866-780-9100. Michelle Voss, Associate Professor of Psychology and Brain Sciences at the University of Iowa, talking about how to uh, keep our brains in good shape, fend off cognitive decline with exercise for our brains and bodies. We'll talk about the mental exercise. Perhaps I can talk about that in just a moment. But let's go to our first caller. Patrick is calling. I see on my screen, Patrick, you're at work in the uh, cabin of your combine.
0: That's correct, yes. Thank you for taking my call, Ben. We're out here diligently using this beautiful weather to get our crops out of the field today.
1: Well, good luck working and getting those crops out. What is your question for our neuroscientist, Michelle?
0: Yes, but my question for Michelle was, uh, what supplements would you recommend to help prevent cognitive declo- decline as well as uh, memory loss long-term?
4: Yeah, so that's a great question, and... Uh, that's something that's, that's still heavy on the radar of, of research. Um, the three things that I would say that there's the strongest evidence behind are ways to control blood pressure. So ways that you can control blood pressure will reduce potential damage to the brain as pulse gets higher. And that's been shown to benefit uh, memory and, and cognition as we get older. And then beyond that, then there's really about behaviors. It's it's staying socially active, staying mentally active, and staying physically active. Uh, when we get to supplements, it becomes more personal. It becomes an interaction of the the other things that are in your diet and and the other lifestyle factors. And so I'd say there's there's a lot more work to be done, and there's there's no great evidence for any one supplement to to, to do the trick.
1: Mm-hmm. Patrick, if you're still there, have you found a way to? keep yourself sharp? Do you have a a secret just based on personal experience? I do,
0: yeah. I've uh, noticed uh, more cognitive benefit from sauna and cold bath, Mm. uh, both at 170 degrees for the sauna and anywhere from 45 to 55 degrees for the cold bath. But I also have utilized float therapy extensively in the past several years, floating in a large Epsom salt bath. And found that to be very beneficial as far as decreasing heart rate and blood pressure and other uh, life stresses. So. Wow
1: uh, does does that uh, Michelle does that practice make sense in Yeah line up with yeah research? I would
4: say one of the emerging areas of interest is is this idea of whether well, physical activity is really just a snapshot of of having our body adapt to a stressor a short term stressor that our body can learn to adapt uh, similar like dipping into a cold cold bath or going into the sauna, uh, when we have to adapt to that short-term stressor, then we keep our bodies sort of in tune and, and regulated. Uh, and so it's similar to how physical activity may be beneficial.
1: So, All right. Patrick, we'll let you get back to your work there on the farm. Thanks for calling.
0: Thank you very much. Have a great day.
1: You too. Patrick uh, dialed one 780 9100 We have another 10 or so minutes uh, with Michelle Voss, neuroscientist at the University of Iowa. Let's t- switch over, if we could, to uh, give us a, an idea of the mental activities and exercises we might like to do, which have the science behind them, the data that shows doing this or that mental exercise may p- maintain our, our mental health and prevent decline.
4: Yeah, so... So we have some research in our lab as well, where we're looking at uh, what types of ways can we stay mentally active to stay sharp uh, day in and day out outside the lab. Uh, With this research, what we found over time and, and from other studies is really it's it's about variety and keeping it challenging. So try not to let yourself get into the routines of doing things that are very comfortable and that you learn really really well. Those can be Great to do to have a lot of confidence, but to keep yourself learning each day, to try to get outside of your comfort zone. And they've seen that the volume of activities is not as helpful as the variety of activities mm-hmm. that you do.
1: Okay, so get out of your comfort zone, challenge yourself uh, every day. I wonder if your your extra uh, your studies or studies you're aware of look into you know uh, people who are just spoke about the the passing of iowa's longest serving congressman neil smith lived to 101 i interviewed him uh, when he was 99 uh, not too many years ago and uh, he was very sharp Um, i mean you can't say for individuals what what made a person sharp to the age of 100 uh, but do you study these types of people is that studied?
4: We don't. I mean, those, are, those types of stories are, and those types of people are the inspiration for our research, though. I mean, you know, when we see someone that has really been able to embrace aging and, and stay mentally sharp uh, throughout their life, um, and, and then we see others that, that, that take a sharp turn earlier than they may have needed to. And that's really the inspiration for understanding what are the common principles that that might be able to to a help us. A sharp turn,
1: you mean? What? A by sharp that?
4: turn downhill. Some people yeah, may have. Mm-hmm. We know. We, we all know people that uh, seem to start to to become a little slower and, and start to lose memory. Let's say in their 60s, whereas others, like you said, are, are are just as sharp as they were in their 60s and their 90s. And really, what is behind that variability? Um, uh, and the fact that lifestyle factors can make a difference is. Is inspiring, but how can we make it affect us? Yep.
1: For those sharp turns, what might be typically behind a sharp turn downward, a, a huge stressor in your life—the death of a spouse—I can imagine.
4: Yeah, stressors can have a big impact, and and when I say sharp, so there are different trajectories or different paths people take. Some have a slow, uh, slow decline that that might be sort of um, you know under the under the hood that they didn't detect earlier. Others can take a sharp turn and. And one thing that's behind that is—is is there may be pathologies building in the brain that that could cut off your memory, but you're finding ways to work around that. But when a stressor happens, you sort of unmask that 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 pathology is building up in the brain, and then all of a sudden you have that memory loss uh, occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Let's go back to our phones. Uh, Bridget is joining us from Cedar Rapids. Uh, good afternoon, Bridget. And uh, what is your question? Your thought? Your experience? about brain health and keeping our brains sharp as we age.
0: Hi. Um, yeah, I'm a
3: 24-year-old uh, here in Cedar Rapids, and I've been struggling with memory and cognitive decline for the past year about. Um, it's seeming more and more like it's due to sleep disorders. Um, I'm also experiencing long COVID, so this has kind of just exasperated the, the problems, but I really struggle to identify what is something that is more just for the average person trying to prevent, say, Alzheimer's or future memory loss and what is something that's going to be really um, impactful for me as a young person who's already experiencing some memory problems. So I'm wondering if any of your research
4: has touched on that um, or what what you may think about that.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. Michelle, what can you, what advice can you give to Bridget?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, as stressors start to build up and and when you're when you're in the younger stages of life um, i think i would you know i would look to trying out different routines that work for you um, trying to find ways that are enjoyable to be active the best type of activity is is what you enjoy and to listen to your body and to be in touch with a uh, primary care physician and and to understand the the you know what you might be able to do to have a little more energy each day, but.
1: Mm-hmm. And and we assume, Bridget, that you you've been to your primary care physician about this.
3: Yes. Yes. Seeing a lot of different doctors uh, here in the
4: corridor. So. Oh. Well. Yeah.
1: Good luck with that. Um, uh, thank you for calling, Bridget, in Cedar Rapids.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's.
1: We talked about some of the things you can do mentally. Keep yourself challenged on a day-to-day basis, no matter how old you are or physically active. Um, But what about the things we know that are detrimental? It may seem like no-brainers, but maybe to emphasize those things, what about about alcohol? What about cannabis, Mm -hmm. for instance?
4: I don't know a lot about cannabis. I know that alcohol uh, can be good in moderation, but in moderation, we probably could apply that to other things. and the things that could be detrimental, uh, sitting. So one of the new uh, emerging ideas there is that, yes, we can have a, a lot of benefit from those small, you know, workouts that we do in the gym. But if we go into the office and or wherever we are and we sit all day, could that be counteracting the benefits that we just saw?
1: So does that speak for the trend in standing desks and yes. so forth? Yes, yes.
4: And that speaks also, the trend in standing desks speaks to our ability to learn through science the benefits and the drawbacks for different ways of being active. So now we know that it's really not about standing all day. It's about standing up and down Mm -hmm. and having variability and so that it's breaking up the sitting that's really important, for example.
1: How does that make sense physiologically Mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to not sit? Why would that connect
4: Yeah. So as we sit longer and longer throughout the day, it starts to disrupt our ability to use glucose and to use glucose uh, and effectively metabolize it for energy. And so that affects things like risks for diabetes. It increases fat around our tummies. And those are things that start to indicate that uh, glucose regulation is starting to become off, and we, of course, can gain weight. And that is one thing that we want to avoid as we get older because that is also uh, being overweight is a risk factor for having memory loss as well.
1: well as you consume our, our society, you know, part of our society as anybody else, as a brain researcher, a neuroscientist, I, I imagine you must run into some misconceptions, whether they're on TV, uh, on the radio. Uh, but what do you see out there that is just uh, wrong, just not on the mark, not backed by any science? Do you see some common things out there that people may believe in or actually purchase a product or a service that is just not going to help?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I think one thing that you will hear commonly is, is people say, well, uh, oh, exercise is, is good for us because it, it increases blood flow to the brain, and, and that's partially right. Um, it increases blood flow to some areas of the brain, and that, that increase in blood flow is short-lived. Now, it it does increase our ability to have better blood flow to the brain as we get older, uh, but everything we know about how exercise affects the brain isn't everything about blood flow. And so there's a lot more to it, mm-hmm. and those understanding how it's working involves a lot more mm-hmm. than only the blood flow to the brain. Yeah.
1: How much more is there to find out in your area of research? you would have like a pie chart and, and represent it there, Do you? how big of a wedge is known and how much of the pie is, is unknown out there for pioneers in research like yourself?
4: There's a lot unknown. So <laughs> what we know is a little is better than nothing. Something is better than nothing. So we, I think we know that physical activity protects us from having a, a risk of Alzheimer's disease and losing our memory. And that we can do other things like staying mentally active and socially engaged and that our lifestyle has a big impact on our risk. What we don't know is how to tune that to the person and the other factors around us in our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we had a caller talk about sleep disruption. That's also something we know very little about. Uh, how does how much we sleep or how well we sleep impact the benefits we get from physical activity um, what are other things in our diet and in supplements we had another caller ask about supplements so yeah. what are other things we can do uh, we know very little about how these combinations of, of factors can come together
1: what about when we talk about mental activity what about meditation mm-hmm. do we know that's beneficial or certain types of meditation
4: yeah there's it's emerging there's more and more studies that are looking at meditation um and I would say that the benefits seem to be there and it's similar to physical activity where you're going to see on average benefits and underneath that average, you're going to see some people are going to benefit a lot more than others. Certainly mindfulness has a lot of benefits uh, in terms of calming anxieties and being able to co- sort of have your attention uh, be more in tune to every day. Um, And that is something that's important for aging because as we get older, we are more susceptible to distractions. Mm -hmm. And so the benefits of meditation and mindfulness uh, may come into that ability to tune our attention in when we need it.
1: Michelle, I want to play genie, as I love to do with uh, researchers (laughs) that we have working on fascinating things such as yourself. Uh, I am a genie. I can answer one unanswered question in your field of research. What would you like to know? One question is all you get.
4: What can I uh, track on my watch to tell me if physical activity is benefiting my brain? <laughs>
1: so you want that as a, as an app or part of your, your Fitbit or yeah, whatever? Yeah, the
4: brain is hard to reach. It's in our skull. We can't see it. Uh, we don't have good ways to track whether our day-to-day activities are, are being beneficial for our brain and preventing us from those long-term outcomes we don't want to avoid, like memory loss. So mm-hmm. I'd love to know what are the ways that when we understand how it works, then how do we you know have devices to to track and 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 see if that's if that's happening on a day-to-day basis
1: do you think one day we'll have such devices so Someday soon in our lifetimes perhaps i think so You think so? Yeah. That sounds like a pretty positive positive answer. I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Michelle Voss, Associate Professor of Psychology and Brain Sciences at the University of Iowa. Uh, We loved having you come in and tell us about you and your team's uh, research at the University of Iowa and answering our listener questions. Thank you so much, Michelle.
4: Thanks so much for having me.
1: This hour on River to River, you've been listening to an encore edition of the program. River to River is a production of Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.
3: Rachel Martin, you probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A, but on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR.